Good morning, everybody listening to the Android Central podcast. Uh, We've got a lot to talk about today, although we're going to have so much more to talk about next week now because everybody seems to have announced an event for next week. We've got Samsung, we've got Apple, we've got Sony for some reason. So we're going to be talking about all of that fun stuff on top of, oh yeah, next week is the Pixel 6 launch and we are still getting tons of leaks in because why hold anything till the event, right? Uh, We also have new Chromebooks to talk about. We have new uh, virtual reality headsets to talk about. And talking about it with us this week is no Jeremy Hildebrand. I'm hoping you're feeling better, buddy. Uh, We have Nick Sutrich. Hey, hey. And we have Alex Doby. How are you feeling today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, it's a bit of a later start for me. But um, yeah, glad to be on with you guys. Yeah, it's it, it's an early start for me, so I'm gonna apologize up front if I still sound a little groggy. I was uh I was unconscious half an hour ago. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and dive into it because this week is busy for us, and next week is gonna be busy for everyone. Because Samsung announced that they are having an uh, that they are going to have an event the day after the Pixel Six launch, although they haven't told anybody what it's gonna be about yet, and we have no idea what that we might actually see next week. So what are you guys thinking? Because I'm I'm actually ending up thinking that this might not be anything Android related at all. Yeah, so for Samsung, um, I think obviously the big rumor on the Android side was that we get an S21 FE. That device has been sort of up in the air for a little while. There were rumors at one point that it had been canceled. Then supposedly it was coming towards the end of the year. The latest sort of smart money now is on maybe a January launch for that, given the S22 seems to have been delayed a little bit. So um, I'm guessing if there is any Android connection, probably it's going to be in the form of Android apps or, you know, at least Galaxy apps on Windows 11 and possibly some new Windows hardware coming from uh, Samsung. Yeah, I feel like Windows would make more sense given the timing of, you know, the fact that Windows 11 basically just launched. It would. I do. A thought just occurred to me, though. Android 12 came out this month, and One UI, uh, the One UI 4 beta has already had had two updates. Trust me, it's not quite ready for general release re- <laughs> yeah. quite yet. It's kind of a but mess. <laughs> considering the like the iconography and the invite for this event was basically a bunch of squares and app icons. Part of me is wondering whether or not they're going to have a big announcement for One UI 4 and how they're trying to better cons- uh, better. What's the word? homogenize their design and make things consistent across Android, uh, all their phones and tablets, and maybe even their laptops if they're announcing, because they're having to update their stuff for uh, Windows 11's new look. Yeah, I think it's possible we'll see something there. Uh, you know, they might just touch on on One UI 4, but really, One UI 4 isn't a massive visual change. Even the visual stuff that has changed that brings in some of the dynamic color elements of Material U Um that that's very very subtle, and uh, you know Samsung already has its own very well established design language. So I think if they if they do bring that in, say, oh, by the way, we got this new update for um, for your Galaxy phone, and it'll work really great with your new Samsung Windows 11 laptop. I think it'll be kind of a a little bit of a sideshow. It won't be a huge focus for the event next week. I think. Yeah. Well, it's it's still just weird. <laughs> yeah, the the apps thing definitely makes me think. Now it's got to be Windows 11 related with with app tie-ins and that sort of thing. So, yes. Oh, yeah, because now they could launch all of their apps. It's like, oh, you can use our Android apps on your phone. You can also use our Android apps on your Windows computer. 
which I don't know how much sense that would make considering most of the Samsung apps are like utilities. You wouldn't use Samsung Calendar app on a Windows laptop, right? Probably not, but (laughs) I I don't know. I mean, I I suppose there'd be a reason for it. All right. (laughs) Well, something we have a little bit more confidence in is the Apple event, which is now going to be Monday, the day before the Pixel event, because... God forbid Google do something and Apple not be having an event basically at the exact same time. So in the September event, we got the new iPhones. We got the Apple Watch. uh, We got a new Apple Watch and we didn't get any laptops, which a lot of people were waiting for because we're still waiting on M2 MacBooks, right? Or at least M1X or whatever they end up calling it. Yeah, a lot of people I think are going to be waiting on that new... uh... 16 inch or whatever it is, Mac MacBook Pro with this new silicon. Um, uh, yeah, me me personally being being one of them. I mean, I think it's uh, uh, from what we've seen and what we've heard from the performance of these chips in the uh, the, the smaller models. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how perhaps a, a faster version. You know, the software is a little bit more um, mature now. And now, same with the OS on on Apple Silicon. Um, so yeah, it could be quite a lot of exciting stuff there coming, especially for for content creators with. Uh, you know, a true sort of full-sized pro um, MacBook uh, running this this chip. I'm just so sad because the one thing I know for sure we're not going to see next week is a touchscreen MacBook. And yeah, I was going to ask about I, that. I Because Apple just isn't going to do it. If they do touchscreen MacBooks, why the heck would you buy an iPad Pro versus the MacBook? Because, I mean, uh, it it just boggles my mind because... They're the only laptop. They're the only laptop manufacturer that doesn't do touchscreen. The a great and growing majority of Windows laptops have touchscreens. Basically, every Chromebook over four hundred dollars has a touchscreen, unless it's a business model. Like I don't get holding back on something that everybody else has, and everybody else does actually fairly well at this point. Windows 11 has been touch optimized. Chrome OS has gotten much better at touch optimization, which is why we have Chrome OS tablets that are actually succeeding these days. I really just want to know what the mindset is of, oh, we don't want to do a touchscreen on a MacBook. Because you know it would sell. You know it would sell. Right. Do we feel like Mac OS is currently touch optimized? No. They haven't done any top touch optimization because they haven't had anything touchscreen yet. Right. But... And so, it's kind of hard to optimize until you actually make the hardware for it. But on the other hand, the dilemma is Apple owns the tablet market, and if you're going to have the, you know, if you're going to have that convergence coming to the MacBook, you need you need the software to be there first. Um, I have no doubt it will happen eventually. You know, the silicon is already basically the same that will be powering uh, these two classes of device. It's just a case of when they can. You know, we've already seen iPad OS sort of decouple a little bit from uh ios on the iphone and um yeah i think it's just it's obviously the hardware is there to make it happen uh the you know it's the ecosystem and the os that needs to to catch up to to make that uh that device work and you know being late to uh to to a new category of product is nothing new for apple um but uh yeah who knows when we when we'll eventually get that but uh, i think the, the first step probably is um, is what we'll see next week with, uh, you know, M1X or M2-powered uh, MacBook Pros. Alrighty. Well, that event isn't going to be terribly important to us because MacBooks don't really compete with Chromebooks in any way, but 
hey, Alex, at least you might have something to ask for it to be expensed for your next uh, editing rig. That'll be nice. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, to be honest, at this stage, I would just go, I would settle for a keyboard that works. Um, how about that? And then we'll, then we'll yeah. get to maybe improving performance in uh, editing. <laughs> yeah. I do have to ask, are, because MacBook keyboards are not terribly reliable. Are MacBook keyboards less reliable than Chromebooks? Like that is, that, a, that is a good question. I've never, I haven't used a MacBook outside of, you know, showing a coworker something on one of theirs whenever I was at like the TV station or somewhere. I've, I've helped people with MacBooks. I don't own one, but even like $200 Chromebooks, $1,000 Chromebooks, I have yet to meet a Chromebook with a Chromebook with a keyboard that isn't consistent. Mm-hmm. Other than I think there was a couple of sticky keys on a review unit once, but they replaced it because they were like, oh, yeah, that's not supposed to be happening immediately. Um, but MacBooks, yeah, I mean, it's I just think, one of those things. If it's a known uh, quantity, your keyboard's going to crap out at some point. It was, Yeah, I mean, uh, so they, they did fix it, I think, a couple of years back um, or maybe one year back. Uh, but there, we still have a lot of people. If you bought a MacBook between 2015 and 2019, probably you have the butterfly keyboard that has issues, you know, if tiny specks of dust get in there. It can completely mess up individual keys and make it so they, they don't press or they repeat press. Um, and uh, yeah. But was uh, the fix last year actually a fix? Because um, we've still I, heard a lot of people having issues. Not as many. I mean, they 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 went back to a more traditional um, key mechanism as opposed to the butterfly mechanism. But it, and you know, reports it, it wasn't you know as consistently of uh, as consistent as it was between like 2016, 2018 Of yeah. okay, there's there's a you know, probably it, greater than fifty percent chance that it's gonna happen to you at some point. Um, and you know, with with small keyboards, things can get in there and, and mess it up. But it you know, the earlier design was just that much more prone to it. Yeah, maybe it's just all the. Uh ruggedizing that Chromebooks have to go through in order to be certified for education and enterprise. True. Alrighty. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get back to the world. Oh, actually, wait, no, we, we missed one event because we didn't really think there was going to be another one. And this one won't technically be next week. It'll be the week after, but Sony's having an event on the 26th and I have Sony. Why? (laughs) Wait a minute. Sony makes phones. Yeah, Sony makes phones that you can actually afford to buy. Like, what? What's up? So this is a Sony Xperia of a product announcement, and they're being quite vague with this. So they don't explicitly say smartphone anywhere, and the the promotional image for it is just please join us for an event. It's the most generic <laughs> product announcement you could you could possibly hope for. Um, oh, I don't know. That Samsung announcement was pretty vague. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know. We haven't heard anything that would suggest it's it's an Xperia announcement. Xperia is their smartphone brand, um, but at the same time, we haven't heard anything that's you know leaked that we would usually expect if something interesting was coming up. So uh, it's a bit of a mystery. Wouldn't it be cool if we got another PlayStation phone from them? No, no, I I, I reviewed that ten years ago. No, it would not be cool. Oh come on, there there could be versions of it that could be cool. I could like if they if they made an Xperia that was also a, a new PlayStation Vita or something. I would, t- I would totally buy that. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's ways. We live in a world where the Nintendo Switch is a thing and a very popular thing. I could see PlayStation trying to get in on that and being like, okay, we make large phones already that nobody really wants to buy now, but if we turn it into something PlayStation, people will. They, they could even include like uh, that that controller I got, the Game Sir. You know, which yeah. basically looks like a Switch. Throw it in the box, and here you go. Here's here's your Vita phone. Enjoy. 
not impossible, but I think again, it's like if if it was something that interesting, it would have leaked. You know, the only industry For leakier sure. than than the smartphone industry is the gaming industry. <laughs> right. We would have heard something if something like that was coming. Yeah, which, this is I, like, know, um, I mean, we all just we just kind of ignore Sony most of the time because whenever they announce a phone, it's either going to be late by six months or it's going to be prohibitively expensive. Yeah, uh, they make they make their products really easy to ignore. <laughs> yeah, sure do. <laughs> It's, it's yeah. almost like they're trying to get rid of their smartphone division. I <laughs> so mean, we'll see. Yeah. Um, obviously, they keep the smartphone division alive if for no other reason than so they can force movie stars to hold them in movies. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Although I have to wonder now, what version of a Sony phone was in either the new Spider-Man or Bond? Because isn't Bond, Bond was, usually... Oh, Bond, Bond was, was Nokia. Nokia. Yeah. It right. was like an old Nokia from last year because it was delayed so so much, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Still looking forward to seeing that movie. It's out over where you are. Wait, it's out here, isn't it? It's out it? here now, too. Yeah. It's out everywhere, God, I think. God, yeah. time is a flat circle. Okay. Well, we're, we're done with all the announcements, so let's take a quick break, and then we're going to dive back into actual Android stuff that people are actually going to care about. So let's we'll be back in a second. Once upon a time in 2013, I was just starting to write about Android and Google and technology, but I didn't have a website. And even worse, with a demanding full-time day job, I didn't have the time to build one from scratch. Instead, I ended up logging on Google+, if you can believe it, and then got hired by AC, so I was saved from the torment of having to build my own. If this is where you are today, trying to get a website done, trying to get yourself out there, trying to get your business out there, then you're in luck. Bookmark is the first and only fully AI-powered website builder. Its artificial intelligence design assistant, AIDA for short, will create a unique website tailored to your needs and subject matter in a matter of minutes. You just go to bookmark.com, answer a few simple questions such as your business type, your location, your goals, and then bam! With just a click of a mouse, you harness the power of a global design team as AIDA builds your personalized website. And AIDA doesn't stop there. Learning as people visit your website, what they are clicking on, what they're not, in order to help improve your visitor experience with one click. Bookmark has three plans to choose from, and the basic account that most of us will probably be using is free, always and forever. But if you want to upgrade, professionals can grab a professional plan, and there's even a built-in e-commerce solution for business owners on the business plan. Bookmark empowers anyone to build a website regardless of their experience level or budget level, taking the stress out of getting your business online. After all, we we all already have enough stress going on today, right? If you're ready to see how fast, efficient, powerful, and budget-friendly Bookmark is, we also have a special offer for listeners. Get 15% off your first purchase at bookmark.com, yearly or monthly business or pro plans but only when you use the link bookmark.com slash ACP or the promo code ACP at checkout. Unlock your full potential with a website that grows with you. Go to bookmark.com today. Alrighty, so back to the world of Android. Um, so Android 12 got announced last week and everybody is still in their betas, but ColorOS is uh, ColorOS and AuctionOS were two of the manufacturers that actually seem to be further along with their betas. Yeah, than uh, normal. Oxygen OS right now basically being ColorOS behind like a Scooby Doo villain mask. I lo- I love that analogy. That's the best. 
That's oh amazing. Gosh. Somebody needs to meme that right now and send it to us, please. I'm pretty sure that, that I'm guaranteed. Someone's already, I guarantee you someone has already done that. I'm, oh. I'm going to mute myself while Alex talks and I'll see if I can put it together. <laughs> <laughs> All um, Yeah, so we got the first uh, Oxygen OS 12 beta last week based on, I believe, the f- like final Android 12 code. Um, you know, the, the AOSP code drop that happened from Google last week. And it was pretty rough, um, plenty of bugs, uh, you know, a lot of UI stuff that isn't finished yet. And, um, you know, you can kind of see elements of ColorOS that, that are in there. Of course, they're now built on the same um, software foundation as uh, as Oppo's uh, version of Android. And this week, we uh, on Monday, we got the first ColorOS 12 public beta. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it does look pretty much the same as the new version of OxygenOS. And you have a lot of visual similarities there, a lot of the... Uh, you know, the focus on space, uh, the new, uh, you know, design language that kind of uh, has, we were seeing in both is, uh, is there. And um, yeah, uh, the the difference really, it comes down to sort of the, some of the visual layers on top and also, uh, you know, some of the value added features. So for example, ColorOS still doesn't have a Zen mode. That's still an OxygenOS exclusive feature. And on uh, on the ColorOS side, you have some unique sort of desktop wallpapers and the sort of dynamic color-esque uh, thing, uh, because, of course, dynamic color material U is not being given to any other manufacturers yet, so they're building their own version of that. Um, Oppo has this system that can automatically pick out four colors from your wallpaper. You can also change which colors those are, you know, drag a little dot around your wallpaper to change which uh, which color it picks out. And, um, yeah, on, on the ColorOS side, it's not massively different to the version that we had before. ColorOS has been pretty stable, pretty fast, and pretty nice for the past couple of years. Um, you know, that went through a big revision with ColorOS 7, where it went from being kind of a mess, um, a lot of compatibility issues, uh, to being actually pretty solid and, and you know, nice to use every day. Um, so with this latest version, yeah, new design language, uh, new color stuff. Um, it's inheriting the Canvas AOD feature from OxygenOS. Has a new name now, which which I forget, but it's basically the same thing where you can take one of your photos. It'll use some AI magic to get like a line art silhouette thing um, that you can then apply to your always on display, um, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, it's uh, beyond that. It's uh, you know nicely tuned up, and uh, you know the version that dropped this week a lot more stable than the you know, the version of OxygenOS that we got the the previous week. So. Um, yeah, they're hoping to get this out stable by the end of the year on the Find X3 Pro. We'll see if they're able to do that. And uh, that probably gives you a pretty good timeline for when we'll see uh, you know, Oxygen OS become finalized as well. You know, I, I have to say, so I feel like when Google's... By the way, did, before you, did you get that meme done? I, I'm not, did I give you enough time? I'm, I'm getting there. I'll finish it by the time <laughs> this is over. <laughs> um, <laughs> good, good job, though. Um, yeah, so the, the dynamic color change thing, right? When when Google first announced that, I thought they said anyway that it would be Pixel exclusive for a while. I think I just misunderstood the announcement. But I've been really impressed with how quickly other OEMs are able to implement that. And not only that, but ColorOS already improved upon it. <laughs> like, that's just awesome. Yeah, like, kind I, of. I think... Well, it, it I, depends, mean, I mean, it depends whether you colors, value, right? yeah, it, it depends whether you value, you know, the, the designer's eye of, you know, choosing complementary colors. You could make the argument that you don't want rando, random, uh, you know, users just choosing any color because it's not going to, the color's not going to complement themselves as well as they would if you had a, a designer or an algorithm designed by a designer doing it. Well, sure. 
I mean, th- does does the ColorOS one automatically pick them and then let you also manually afterwards, or is it is it yes. just manual? Yes, which yes. is the way it should be. Yeah, so that's I'm, that's I'm sorry, perfect. but the the Go- the Google and Samsung versions of the dynamic color that we've seen so far, Samsung's goes a little bit more dynamic. They're they're wi- Samsung is willing to dip more into bold colors, right? But only for certain things, and Samsung also just needs to expand dynamic color to touch way more of the uh, operating yeah, system the way that more. theme park does. But yeah, automatic colors only get so far, especially because. They all tend to be around the same color, especially if you have a wallpaper that has any semblance of, okay, this is a wallpaper with, like, this color palette, so there's only, like, three or four different colors to choose from. Right. And if it samples, like, the wrong area of the picture, you might only get basically one color for everything. So having a way to custom pick, like, okay, this is a mostly blue wallpaper, and it has this nice little, like, red, uh, red accent over in the corner but it didn't get sampled when they were doing the matrix out of the wallpaper i want to be able to set everything else to that generic like to those regular automatic blue colors but i want to get that red in there somewhere and that's something that i think google's algorithm does a lot better it'll pick out those you know those highlights of sort of more saturated brighter colors in a way that the other implementations will often kind of miss that's that's my experience anyway but they won't do them big and bold Google's matrix has only done pastel colors so far, which is annoying to me. Yeah, I've had plenty of issues where I will pick a wallpaper that's very obviously, we'll just say yellow, right? And then it will only give me like a subdued green or some some weird color that I'm like, okay, well, that's in like this tiny corner of the picture. But mostly this thing is yellow. Like, why didn't you give me a bunch of yellow options? You know, so I don't. Yeah. I would like to just be able to override that when I think it did a poor job. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really because... my, my complaint about Android 12 so far and my, I guess, compliment towards what they've done in ColorOS 12. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, if they're going to have like, because they have the solid color ones that you can pick, among the solid color ones, you should be able to pick, you should be able to pick any basically hex code and then it'll extrapolate a dynamic theme from that code, like adjusting up and down based on the accessibility algorithms that are, or the uh, accessibility parameters that are built into the algorithm. But yeah, for it to just be like, okay, I put in this wallpaper that's blues and purples and all of my colors are like these weird teals or these weird mobs. Like, no, there's picking stuff that's close to your wallpaper, but that Google's algorithm works really, really well for photos it doesn't really work that well for like art or any generated wallpapers, which is, I hate to say, but that's what a lot of people use because putting a photo as your wallpaper tends to be very busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also the the situation where because this stuff hasn't been open source yet, um, the the bits in ColorOS 12 and the new One UI that are customized by that um, don't. It doesn't cover everything, as you, you kind of already mentioned. So even if you're on Android 12, you have the latest version of, say, Gmail or any of the Google apps that currently do dynamic color on a pixel, that doesn't work with these manufacturers' implementations right now. And uh, you know, given that uh, you know this stuff hasn't been open sourced, well, probably quite likely that it won't work even when this is uh, even when you know those updates go out. So. Well, dynamic color is just choosing the hues, applying them as part of the system theme APIs that have been there since the very beginning. Yeah. So the colors should still integrate if 
developers are pulling them properly from that API. It's just a matter of right now, maybe, I think the Google apps, they might only be pulling in the dynamic color. They've only been pulling in dynamic colors on pixels so far, right? Yes, um, but yeah, so it could just be that that they're disallowing it on anything that isn't a pixel. That could very well be the case. Um, but it seems Which would like be wrong, Google, and let's get on that, please. Because yeah, if you're gonna do a if you're gonna do a new UI and it's going to be, oh, we're gonna use this new UI everywhere, then use it everywhere or kindly sit down. And something something I talked about in the editorial re- recently is that because they've updated these apps and you know, if you don't have a pixel, basically it's the same Google blue that it gets themed with, you're in this situation where um Actually, compared to when Material Design first started, like seven years ago, uh, you know the early Material apps had their very own individual sort of clear color identity. You know, Gmail was red or Keep was yellow, um, and now that design identity comes from your wallpaper. Except most of the ecosystem isn't going to be able to use that. Except, you know, although the ecosystem will still be updated, right? So you get your Gmail update; it'll go from being white or whatever to being this blue color. And actually, a lot of the Google apps and any apps that also decide to use this new color system are just going to look quite bland um, until manufacturers get around to using um, you know, the the dynamic color in- integration when that eventually gets gets pushed out. So we're looking at next year sometime. So potentially for quite a long time, you could be <laughs> in a situation where all your Google apps actually look quite dull and have this weird blue color scheme Um and you know that's that's gonna take a lot of time for for people to well, catch up with. No, no. I mean, dynamic color just sets the values. The values are stored in a different API that's open to Android and can be used by other apps. So it's a matter of set the the algorithm for setting dynamic values is something that Google held back. But the values themselves can still be set by the system to be whatever they want with whatever their algorithm is, and those values can be pulled out by apps pretty easily. It's a matter of we need developers to support them. And we also need manufacturers to make sure that they are setting those properly in system theme rather than just being like, okay, we're going to have our own values and we're going to have them in our own special place. So they work on our stuff, but don't work on anything else. Yeah. Which is kind of where we are right now. Um, And, you know, they're going to be, you know, let's, let's assume that dynamic color gets fully open sourced in Android 12.1. Um, you're still going to have a lot of devices that are, you know, Android 11 and below that their Google apps are all going to have this weird, slightly off blue theme. Um, uh, you know, things are just going to have less visual, less clear visual identity as a result. It's a a little bit of a shame, I think. It is. I, I really wish there was a way for apps to be developed where it's like, okay, if this, if this phone is on Android 11 or less, we default to the app color rather than the system theme color. Yeah, yeah. Because that would help with a lot of this because instead of it being like, oh, it's going to be Google Blue everywhere, it'd be like, okay, if I'm on an Android 12 device, the colors come from my wallpaper. If I'm on an Android 11 device, the colors come from the app because that's the only place they can come from right now. Yep. So we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out over the next year. It's going to be interesting as devices get updated to see how um, you know, dynamic color is implemented. Who does it? Who doesn't? Who does their own thing? Who does it the Google way? Uh, it's going to be a bit of a mess, I think. Alrighty. Well, we won't be seeing stable releases of any Android version for probably at least, what, another month? 
at the very least. We'll see. I mean, so we can kind of segue this into the Pixel 6 launch next week, I yeah. guess. But um, I think it's possible we'll get it next week. Uh, all, all the Pixel exclusive features are going to be, uh, you know, shown off on the new phones. They'll need to be live as we're, you know, we're expecting them to go on sale around the end of October. So, um, yeah, but potentially we'll we'll see it before the month's out. But, you know, it's, it's always a little bit of a, a guessing game as to where, uh, you know, when Google brings new Pixel features to old phones. So we'll just have to wait and see. I don't think any of the new Pixel 6 features are going to be backported to the Pixel 5, 5a, 4 series. I don't think any of that backporting is going to happen until either the November or the DC. Well, I don't even think November. I don't think those are going to come to the other Pixels until probably the December feature drop. Whenever 12.1 comes along, possibly. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping we get 12.1 during the announcement next week, or at least a timeline for when 12.1 is coming. Mm-hmm. But we probably won't, considering how delayed this year's release has been. I'll, I'll settle for a working at-a-glance uh, widget. How about that? I just turn that off and use another launcher so I don't have to look at the broken one that's in the Pixel <laughs> launcher right now. Makes things easier bad, for me. There are a lot of wonderful launchers out there, ladies and gentlemen. If you're on a Pixel and on the beta and you don't like looking at a broken at-a-glance widget, may I suggest Nova Launcher, Action Launcher, or Smart Launcher 5, which is what I've been on for the last two years now. Yeah, Nova is my personal favorite, especially since the latest update. There's just so much you can do with it. Oh, yes. Nova 7 has been great. Yeah, it's really wonderful. <laughs> yes. Alrighty. Well, getting back into the Pixel Land stuff that we are going to see next week. So we're still getting all of these. Um, we're still getting all of these little leaks in, or big leaks actually. This last weekend, somebody decided to post like the entire feature page for the Google Pixel Six and Pixel Six Pro, which was it was nice. I'm very happy that they extracted all the pictures. That makes life easier for the rest of us. But we still didn't see a whole lot in there that wasn't already like in the pipeline and either semi-confirmed by Google or confirmed by Google. Yeah, this is uh, so the leak that happened over the weekend. Um, initially, we had some images that leaked out from uh, Evan Blass, and then he basically seemed to reveal where he got that stuff from, which was an early um, published but not linked product page from Carphone Warehouse in the UK. So basically, the entire sort of feature page, as he said, of uh, you know laying out all the major um, uh, features that these two phones have. Uh, the only thing that th- I think was missing is a, a spec sheet, though based on everything that's leaked so far, we can kind of piece together <laughs> the specs. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, and I think we also had a repair manual that leaked for the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro that filled in another few details. You could see the front of the phones, you could get a look at bezels, you could see the battery capacity and stuff like that. Well, and the person that posted the repair manuals actually posted a video of a Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro being assembled in real yeah. time. Yeah. So, like one of those uh, little how-to <laughs> YouTube videos. And I'm just like, wow. Uh, so what we know from that is someone's definitely getting fired. Um, yeah. And we also we also know, uh, you know, key Pixel 6 features like object removal in photos. That's been in several Android phones over the years working, you know, to varying degrees of uh, competence. Um, we also know uh, things like Gorilla Glass Victus. We know it'll, uh, the Pro will have an LTPO screen, really important for battery life. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, we also have all the colors confirmed. And uh, we know that it'll have five years of security updates and at least four years of platform updates, as was uh, previously rumored. Yeah. And I mean, it. 
I'm so happy to see this phone next week because we've been waiting for so long, even though we have literally seen this phone for <laughs> yeah, two months much, now. Right? <laughs> but next week, people are actually going to be able to hold it in their hands. Yeah, you can go and hold it in your hand as opposed to looking at it in a window in a store in New York. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be so I'm that's just going to make me so happy. Uh, the other things, there was one announcement, there was one leak that I, A, did not see coming and B, have been waiting for for years, but that was Pixel Pass. So we finally, we've talked before, I think I've written like maybe one or two editorials about how Google needs a better bundle for its services like Apple One, and it looks like we're going to get that and it's going to be called Pixel Pass. Yeah, and this is kind of surprising to me because... I th- the thing that stopped this from happening in the past, I think, is you just have so many different project managers with their own sort of vested interests at Google that getting anything like this together almost requires like a, you know, a big sort of UN style negotiation <laughs> to actually uh, to make it happen. But yeah, it, it's it's great that, you know, buy a Google phone and just as with the original Pixel, you got that Google Photos deal um, with unlimited storage, you actually, you know, do benefit from, uh, you know, bundled uh, Google services. Yeah, and I think that really shows how different this Pixel is from all of the other ones, right? Because this really does feel like the first time, I hate to say it, but the first time Google's actually trying completely, right? All the other, I feel like all the other generations are always, I don't know, just half here, half there. Like they were really serious about one thing, but they couldn't get the rest of it together. And we ended up with, what we got. I mean, none of them are bad phones, obviously. I think several of us use them and like them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- this is definitely, as somebody put it in an editorial not too long ago, uh, the first real Pixel flagship that doesn't seem to have any compromises and and puts the whole thing together in one package. I think this is always this, this year has always been what the whole Pixel program has been leading to we can give you a little bit of inside baseball here um and we published this on the site because it's it's single sourced um and you know not totally verified but um so you know treat this as semi-informed gossip but <laughs> basically you know th- this year is important because it's google silicon right it's 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 high end again which is a big deal because last year wasn't high end but it's google silicon and you know when you're designing a chip that doesn't happen overnight it doesn't even happen in the course of a year which is generally you know the amount of time you need to design and build and, and um, manufacture a smartphone from start to finish so this whole project from what i've heard kind of started around the time of the pixel 2 when google inherited all the htc r&d and supply chain and stuff and um you know, so from that time, late 2017, early 2018, Google would have known that it was building towards, you know, end of 2021, building its own phone with its own chip. And, uh, you know, that would always have to be set in stone. They would have been designing it going up until, uh, you know, the end of 2020 or whatever. And we had that that weird spell in in the from the end of 2019 to the end of 2020 where, or even, you know, the middle of this year where Google's ambitions seem to be a little bit um more conservative the phones were mid-range we didn't really have a big high-end pixel um but the end point was always going to be okay google chip google phone high-end and uh you know i think what we're seeing now with the services playing into that is uh you know everyone would, would have had plenty of time to to build to this point and to get all the ducks in a row to um have the software ready have the services ready have the design ready for the first proper Google phone. Um, and 
while, you know, the Pixel program has seemed a little bit rudderless going from year to year and having different problems, like, you know, the screen with the Pixel 2, the, you know, memory with the Pixel um, 3, and Three, battery yeah. life on the Pixel battery 4. Battery life on the 4. Mm-hmm. And just the lack of anything high-end last year. Um, you know, behind, <clears throat> behind the scenes, they would have always been building to, okay, Tensor is coming now. Um, we're going to release a high-end phone. Uh, so... Yeah, I think it makes sense that the the services are also in line with uh, with that goal. On the one hand, I'm excited for Pixel Pass. On the other hand, I also remember that for Apple One, you only get a set amount of storage. And for Google One, you need to be able to have a either a much higher amount than the uh, than the Apple One Pass does, or you need to have it be something that you can adjust. Because I I use. I subscribe to Google One. I subscribe to YouTube Premium. I don't care that much about Play Pass. It would, it would be nice to play with it, but it's not essential for me. But I do the family plan for YouTube Premium, and I have a two terabyte subscription for Google One that I might either have to upgrade or start purging in order to keep. Um, and I'm willing to bet that if I looked at Pixel Pass, Pixel Pass would either bump down my storage or would bump my YouTube Premium subscription down to a individual which would not work for me because i finally got the rest of my family to actually use youtube music uh you uh yeah youtube music which has taken a while there's also the concern of what happens when pixel pass inevitably goes away and this is the joke with any google any new google product or service when it comes out but what happens when uh you know google gets people hooked on stuff through pixel pass and then pixel pass goes away and then suddenly it's like i don't know an extra hundred dollars a month to to keep using the stuff that you become well, accustomed to. I mean, I paid for I paid for YouTube Premium when it was still Google Play Music, and so I got grandfathered in under the old payment plan. So yeah, they I paid were good about bu- that. I, I pay fifteen bucks a month for family uh, for the family plan for YouTube Premium because I just have been subscribing to you, Google Play Music since the preview period. Yep, same. So I'm. I'm not terribly worried about that portion of it, especially because Play Pass is not terribly expensive. And yeah, YouTube Premium can get up there. Google One can get up there once you get into the higher tiers. But the only other thing that you could bundle in this would have been Google Fi. And Google Fi does a bunch of other deals anyway, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't Fi mentioned with this deal? It's associated with Google Fi. So yeah, Google Fi would be one of the uh, would be one of the controllers for it, but the only the only thing in Pixel Pass that Pass that would be ex, uh, essential to me is the extended warranty, because I'm I'm like everybody else. Pixel hardware is one of those things that I absolutely love. Pixel hardware, but I know also, also know if anything goes wrong with it, it's a roulette wheel of whether or not I'm going to get yeah. instantly satisfactory service or if this is going to turn into a three month fiasco. Eh, pretty much. Um, and the, yeah. one of the one of the terms that they mentioned in here was it was you uh, you'll be able to do this if you buy your Pixel Six from the Google Play Store or from Google Fi, which also makes me wonder whether or not this is going to be a service that people who are on other carriers or just walk into a store and buy a Pixel Six are going to be able to have. Because if only Google Store and Pixel Fi customers are going to have access to this, it's a non it's a non starter. Because not a whole lot of people use Google Fi and not a lot of people buy from the Google store these days. Right. I I, I think we're just going to have to wait until they announce those specifics if 
you know, if whatever we're seeing now isn't all they're announcing at this point. And I also think yeah. it, the price really will will dictate if this is worth anything, because like you said, you know, what if they cancel the thing down the line and now you have to pay for them all individually? Well, if they price it right, then it won't make much of a difference. It, you know, Well, I mean, the, the price it's going to be now is going to be the X factor, because how much are they taking off of your YouTube premium subscription or your Google One subscription? Right. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, as good as it is, still kind of a sticking plaster on, on the problem that Google just needs better service bundling in general. Yes. Um, you know, this problem isn't a Google phone problem, it's a Google services problem, and you still have that, you know, UN negotiation style process or problem or whatever to to actually get around to uh to having some you know something like Google One, but for, you know, workspaces more, more and other of, things yeah yeah more of what google actually does that that might not uh, necessarily be explicitly tied to a phone yeah yeah i definitely agree with that the the last leak that made me both simultaneously very very happy and very very sad was the continued leaks for the new pixel stand so the new pixel stand told us what the top speed it'll support is it also the new leak also had the price and it surprised nobody it's going to be the same price as the old one yeah, I mean, first-party Pixel accessories, not not too surprising there. They'll, they'll be expensive, um, but, you know, good, good to see faster wireless charging, I guess. Um, at, this, at one point, yes, but also the new stand, I'm sorry, the new stand looks kind of ugly. What, what was the issue with the first stand? Because I remember there was some glaring problem. I just well, can't recall what it was. I mean, on top of it just being too expensive, it was, it only really fast-charged pixel phones and everything else was five watts i want to say and for this one i'm willing to bet that this is going to be it'll fast charge whatever uses extended power protocol but it'll slow charge everything else i'm willing to bet you will not get 10 watts if you put a samsung on this stand which is fine because 10 watt wireless stands are literally everywhere and can be had for a fraction of this price right like i i want to know what google was thinking with the price here considering that there are so many good if not better stance than this available for half the price or let half the price or about an equivalent i have a feeling they might tie this in with some sort of software feature that you know once it detects it's on a pixel stand it's going to do something that just dropping it on a regular wireless charger might not yeah well that's what the original did yeah plenty of stuff the original already did yeah right so i would assume that that's how they're going to differentiate this again and say this is why you're going to pay the premium for this thing versus just buying a $10 puck on Amazon. <laughs> I'm just happy there's more than one color this year, apparently. But yeah, my other thing with this is it just it looks like a paperweight. I mean, I'm happy that it's not <laughs> going to have like that. Most wireless stands have an basically an open back, so it's not conical in the back. It's not closed off. It's open, and that means that dust will accumulate behind your wireless stand. And this one won't have that problem, but also it just it it looks like something. If it's properly weighted, I could pick somebody up and murder it, uh, murder them with it, which is not a great look considering there's there's not a lot of style here. And for a seventy five dollar wireless charger, you need style, especially considering iod uh yeah iodi has the wireless uh, uh the ion wireless duo which charges pixels at 15 watts already so you won't get the 23 watts although 
Faster wireless charging is great if you need to top off in a hurry, but for most wireless chargers, people will like throw it on there while they're working or they'll throw it on there overnight. You don't need faster wireless charging in that instance. Yeah. Well, and like with this one, it has like the sunrise alarm and some of these other bedtime things, right? So that that fits right in with what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, the sunrise alarm was part of it back during the original Pixel Stand, wasn't it? I swear yes, to God, it was. Yes, yeah, Pixel that. Three. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm not sure that there's enough added value here to justify the same price. I know people will pay for it because it's Google and it's first party, but I'm. Not sure it's worth that money, especially when in in an alternate universe where the Pixel Four actually sold well, um, and and all (laughs) the uh, subsequent Pixels had the um, the Soli radar on the front, that actually they could do something a little bit like the Nest Hub, um, the second gen Nest Hub, where you could uh, track your sleep using it. Um, yeah, when it's on a Pixel stand, I could see that happening, but uh, yeah, we don't really have the hardware to do that. So, you know what's worth it? The rock candy colorway. That's it right there. (laughs) <laughs> it, it should come with a little piece of rock candy in the bag um, you know the ones on the stick and like a little plastic <laughs> if you get pixel pass they send you new rock candy every month that's right uh, it's, it's, it's oh my gosh I, I, I'd kind of be okay with that <laughs> sorry what I, I would kind of be okay with that because hey, rock candy be is fun. delicious and also rock candy rock candy is one of the few things that if you package it properly you can ship it anywhere and it will last freaking forever because it's just pure sugar I, i'm just not sure what the fog one would include would that be like a london fog latte or something like maybe in a maybe in a box i don't know right, we're, we're past this now <laughs> send me a pair of those nice london fog gloves Sorry, I'm I'm flashing back to going to the outlet mall with my mom when We're I was just in trying to school. figure out what's worth eighty bucks. That's all. It's cool. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to figure out what's going to be worth eighty bucks here, especially because I'm I'm a wireless charger nerd, and I'm not seeing enough here to justify the high price. But then again, that's kind of how it is with any name brand wireless charger, right? By a company that isn't like okay, we we get that this is economy of scale, and people need to be able to buy this affordably if we want to move any units. So. I'm hoping that this gets discounted to like 50 relatively quickly. 50, 50 would or be that, more reasonable. Yeah, 50, 50 for this would be perfect. 75, bit much. And I'm sure we'll see like Samsung style bundles that have, uh, you know, either this or the wired charger or Pixel Buds or whatever else uh, bundled in. I could see I could see this in the Pixel Buds for uh, 125. You know, something that I noticed on this I didn't think about until just now, it uses a USB-C port on the back, which makes me happy because yeah. I feel like a lot of these types of products, whether it's a smart speaker or something else that sits on your desk and is always plugged in, uses some stupid proprietary barrel plug or whatever. And it's just nice to see them not doing that crap because it just is such a waste. Oh, yeah. No, it's that's that's number one criteria when I'm looking at wireless chargers for any of our roundups. It's okay. Do you use a barrel plug? If so, why do you use? And if you use micro USB, get the hell out. No, (laughs) no, that shit belongs back in 2017. No, not here. Throw your Kindle in the garbage. Yeah. Sorry, Jim. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm very passionate about my accessories and nothing nothing deserves micro USB in 2021. Hey. You deserve better. Yeah. The world deserves 100%. better. Alrighty. So next week we'll actually get all the details and we'll be able to see 
whether or not this pricing is actually accurate, which I think it is, and that upsets me just a little bit. But next week, we'll also have all of the all the cases, all the accessories, all of the fun stuff, and we'll actually have actual phones that are being sent to actual people, I hope. Please, please let this be a short turnaround for the Pixel this year. Um, so we're going to end on that note real quick, and then we're going to come back and talk about a couple of new lesser things, and then we'll get to what's making us happy. There's never been a better time to become a, pro- a programmer, and with Codecademy, you learn to code on your own terms. Simply put, Codecademy is the best way to learn to code online. They not only teach you job-ready coding skills, but also help you build unique projects for your portfolio, earn certificates, and even prep for technical interviews. Having been an Android writer for seven years now, I'm slightly embarrassed that I, I haven't learned any Java since high school. Hello, world! I'd love to be able to get some coding literacy so I could better understand the apps I use and how the features I want to see added to these apps would actually be able to be added. And Codecademy could help me do this if I had the time, and I hope you have the time. Codecademy will help you get qualified for in-demand jobs in as little as two months. You choose what you learn rather than being stuck in a cookie-quarter course load. And because it's an interactive platform, you can do as you learn to help lessons better take and get instant feedback when something isn't working. Join the millions of people learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to Codecademy.com and use promo code ANDROID. That's promo code ANDROID at Codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn to code. C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com, promo code ANDROID. So Techtober continues and there is new stuff literally everywhere. So this week, Acer came out with four new Chromebooks, which I'm happy for. I got to review one of them, which is a great laptop. It's sitting next to me with my show notes right now, but it's a great laptop that you're not going to be able to buy for a while. And even once you can buy it, I'm not sure you'll be willing to pay the price for it. This is, uh, Acer came out with a new Acer Chromebook Spin 514. And if that name sounds familiar, this is the second Acer Chromebook 514 to come out just in 2021. Acer, I I love y'all, but please pick different model numbers. Like it's not that hard. Incremental incremental model numbers make it easier for the users to know what's new. And it makes it easier for tech reviewers like me because we're using up all of, because we're when we're using the same terms, everything just gets jumbled together by search whenever anybody tries to go buy your new laptops. But we have a new Acer Chromebook Spin 514, which is the best fanless laptop I've had in about two years, I think, because it has the 11th Gen i5, just like the Acer, uh, just like the Acer Spin 713. But the Acer Spin 713 had a model with a fan, and this is a model without, which means. I don't have to listen to any of that noise when I'm trying to podcast or just trying to listen to my music. And it also means that I can keep it on my lap without it blocking any of the thermal ports or getting too hot in my lap, which is wonderful because I spend a uh, not quite healthy amount of time writing from the couch rather than writing at my desk. So that was good. We also got a new, we got another new Asus Chromebook, uh, 
5.15. I think we got another 5.14 as well, which is impressive considering I reviewed an Asus, uh, a new Chromebook 5.14, I want to say three months ago. Yeah, sometime this summer, I reviewed an Acer Chromebook 5.14 that was Intel. And now we have one that's powered by MediaTek, which is, it's more budget-friendly, yes. But I also question its, its existence, especially now that the Chromebook market is so saturated and demand is going to be going down over the course of the next 18 months. So that will be interesting. I don't know. Are, are there any Chromebooks here that any of that you boys actually find any interest in, in any way? So my my wife uses an educational Lenovo Chromebook, which she likes because it's water resistant and drop proof effectively. Oh, right? yeah, no, the the 300E, 500E, the 14E, the education models from Lenovo are nice and rugged. It, yeah. It's ThinkPad without the branding. Right. Yeah. I, like the biggest complaint about it when she got it was the screen because the resolution is, it's, it's quite, Crap. it's quite yeah. low. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah, no. But over the years, I think both of our eyes just kind of adjusted to it and I just look at it now and it's whatever. Yep. <laughs> but I'm, yeah, that's, I'm right there with you. I, I love I spent... that line and I love the idea of having a laptop that you're not afraid to drop. You're not afraid to spill your coffee on because that's definitely a problem in, you know, premium laptop land. I mean, it's it is less so than it used to be because most laptops now are certified for 80, uh, 810.801 uh, either G or H, depending on the model. But most Chromebooks, like pretty much all, uh, I want to say half of these Chromebooks were designed with businesses in mind, especially because there's an enterprise version of the five, uh, uh, the Chromebook 515 and the Chromebook Spin 514. Acer designs for enterprise as much as it does for consumers and education. Right. And enterprise needs things to not break. They just need really good warranties, if nothing. <laughs> eh. I, I mean, coming from enterprise land, that was always the caveat. It was like, if this thing doesn't have a five-year warranty on it, or... Even the day after the warranty goes up, that thing gets, you know, removed and replaced with one that has a warranty. It's just, I don't know. That's yeah. a, that At least to me and where I worked, that was a thing. Well, I will say most of the premium Chromebooks I have reviewed during the last year, year and a half have all been spectacularly durable. Yeah, uh, Especially from Lenovo. The, the, I mean, Lenovo's premium Chromebook is a ThinkPad and it is rugged and it is... It is solid. I still, I love that. I, I think I need to send that back, actually. But I've I've just enjoyed it. It's very nice. Yeah. But, um, and the the Chromebook 514, it's not, it's not the sexiest design Acer has ever done because that honor obviously goes to the Spin 713. But the problem here is the consumer version, you either get an i5 or an i7, and the consumer version starts at 700 and goes up from there. Now, in a vacuum, this wouldn't be too big of a problem. The problem being the screen is just a 1080p, 215-nit screen, and it doesn't have tons of ports. It doesn't have any, like, huge standout features because the standout features that Acer chose to mention on this were up-facing speakers that are supposedly tuned to better, uh, better act during conference calls. Although, again, if you're on a conference call without headphones on, you're a monster and please seek professional help. Uh, but the speakers only work for, the speakers only boost some kinds of voices. And those are mostly lower register, 
uh, lower register and deeper voices. So higher register voices aren't necessarily helped by this tuning because I tried it with a variety of different voices. And the higher voices and the softer voices weren't helped by it, which means that if you're an educator and looking at buying this laptop, it's going to be it, it, it's not going to help you hear your kids any better, which is bad. Um, so the feature set here, it's a good overall laptop, but the pricing is too high, especially considering the Spin 713 is a 400 nit screen, 2K resolution, and it's on sale for 619 right now. And I'm willing to bet it's actually probably going to get its first drop down into the 550 500 range during Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of the holiday sales that are starting to ramp up now. Yay, Christmas. Um, so it's it's a good laptop. I just think it needs better pricing, and we're not going to get better pricing for at least probably five or six months because this laptop doesn't go on sale in North America until January. It goes on sale in Europe, hopefully this month, because the availability for Europe said October but we're not going to get wide availability on this until next year. And that means we're not going to get discounts on this until probably next spring at the earliest. And that's a bummer because pricing matters in Chromebooks because that's what Chromebooks are what known for. They're known for, for sure. value. Yeah. And this is not, this value is good. It's not $700 good. Right. And I think in the beginning too, Chromebooks needed that value because the OS was pretty light on features, whereas, you know, these days it's it's gotten uh, significantly better, I would say. I still, oh, yes. I'm telling you, look, if full Adobe Suite was on a Chromebook, I would switch today. I just, that's, that's the last domino that needs to fall for me to jump on. I mean, if you're just using it for Photoshop, I just want to spend an afternoon with you and see what in Photoshop you actually need and whether or not it can be better, uh, it can be properly served with web-based editors like Pixlr. Yeah, I've tried them all. They don't. I, <laughs> I know. Trust me, I have tried all sorts of stuff. It's not, it's not that I hate Windows necessarily, but I really would prefer to use Chrome OS. So yeah, no, just, if we... Come on, Google, make a deal with Adobe, get that crap on there and let me switch. I don't think Google can pay Adobe enough to actually care. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. I mean, like we said last time, I, I don't understand why, though, because you have so much of the uh, education space that uses Chromebooks, and there's definitely an overlapping market there. I, I know for sure that a lot of those places use Adobe in some capacity. Yeah, I know. Adobe, it's it's used in a lot of schools. It's used by a lot of media professionals. And Adobe thinks that those people tend to use Macs for whatever reason. So, like, even... Even the Adobe suite on Windows, I think, still isn't tuned properly for performance. Because, like, if you want to, if you want to crash a Windows laptop, boot up Premiere and try anything. Well, it's true. Uh, I mean, I've used Premiere on Windows for years, and it, you know, there there are bugs. There are better these days. I don't actually use it very much these days, so I couldn't tell you right now. But you know, as of the last two years, it was a lot better than the last five or six years. You know. Before that, so it 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 is improving, but yeah, I, I would agree. It it it's sort of like a lot of apps where they're sort of made iOS first, right? And then maybe the yeah. Android one is a, an afterthought. <laughs> well, that needs to change for Adobe, especially considering if somebody's buying a Mac, chances are they're either going to be using Final Cut for video 
or they have a greater chance of going to the new competitors for Photoshop like, well, I don't think it's new, but Clip Studio Paint and the others. There are a lot of, and Procreate, there's a lot of alternatives out there for Adobe and Adobe needs to get off its butt and get back in the game if they want to maintain their hold on that audience. Because there's a lot of artists out there who are who have reached the point where they're like, okay, y'all are y'all are just anti-consumer, so we're just going to go somewhere else because we're not going to pay for this. Because support isn't necessarily great, features are slow to roll out. It's just not a great service. It's a great product. But service is important for things like this. Alrighty, but enough about bashing on Adobe and enough about bashing on Chromebook pricing. Um, Nick, there are some new VR headsets that are coming out. And I see the word Vive in here. And I'm so happy because Vive is my favorite. So far, of the of the VR headsets I've tried, I liked the Vive the best. But I haven't gotten to use anything Oculus yet. That's fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> So going into this, right, uh, the new one is called the HTC Vive Flow. Um, it, I'm pretty sure this is the Proton um, prototype they showed off at the beginning of 2020, which had a lot of people excited because they basically look like giant goggles versus, you know, your typical VR headset, which is this uh, massive thing that sits on the front of your face, right? So uh, it still looks a little goofy. It's more like like a bug eyes. Uh, oh gosh, what was? I'm just looking forward to people like decorating the sizes and turning them into steampunk goggles. Abs- yeah, there's totally something people can do with this design. It is it is way lighter. Okay, this thing is 189 grams. To put that in perspective, something like a Quest or a Vive or a PSVR is upwards of 600 grams. Okay, so this thing is significantly lighter. Um, the difference here is that this is not really a proper VR headset, I guess we can say. It's more akin to smart glasses. Um, so, you know, you do put it on your face. It does block out the world, essentially. It does show you a, um, a, a VR image that brings you into it mentally, okay? You can move around. It has full six-degree freedom movement, Um, but it tethers to your smartphone and it uses your smartphone as a controller. So this is not a Quest competitor. This is more like an Oculus Go competitor. Um, I mean, resolution is pretty good. It's 3.2K resolution, they say, which is, uh, at least by the numbers, slightly lower than the Quest 2, which is almost 4K. So we're talking, you know, minutia here, basically. The 75 hertz refresh rate is a bit low. Um, by comparison, the Quest 2 can do up to 120. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, it does have an active cooling system and all that stuff, which is supposed to pull the moisture away from your face. The lenses look way, way better than anything Oculus has ever made. Um, it's got individual eye adjustment. So somebody with... Um, like a a lens prescription on the glasses where maybe your right eye is a little stronger than your left eye or something, you can adjust that type of stuff with these lenses. Um, So it just, the the lenses themselves, I feel like are probably the most impressive part of this product, as well as the fact that the form factor is, is so much lighter. And that's the, the benefit of having the computation not being done in the headset, right? Yeah, there is a little bit inside of it, but for the most part, this thing is using your phone to, you know, dictate what's being played and how it's being controlled and all that. 
So, I mean, like I said, it's not really a standalone in the way that a Quest 2 is because you're still tethered to something. But, you know, it is still designed to take anywhere because it really is just tethered to your phone. So that's not mm-hmm. the biggest deal in the world. Um, I, th- I think the biggest barrier here, aside from maybe the lack of uh, features compared to a Quest, is that it's $200 more than a Quest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Although I will, I will say, um, yeah, I'm somebody with uh, uneven eyes, so my left eye is good, my right eye is crap because my cornea got scratched as a child. So, yeah, VR headsets, it's a lot of okay. My left eye is going to be good, my right eye is going to give me a headache after about 20 minutes yeah. if I can't do individual adjustments. That that you know, I hmm, I don't know anybody that's ever said that to me before, so that's interesting because I know when I saw that feature in, you know, the, the leaks of this first. And then, you know, we got, we got the information as well, but, um, people started talking about that when the leaks came out. Um, and I thought it was interesting. Cause like I said, I hadn't really heard of that. And I, you know, you have the IPD issue, right? Where that's the distance between your eyes themselves. Uh, I guess uh, no, horizontally. It's, a, it's a, it's a prescription difference. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean also, yours. I'm just saying, like, as far as yeah. eye adjustments go, typically when we're talking VR, it's just that spacing distance between your eyes. I had never considered lens differences, you know, for, like you're saying, you're maybe one eye is stronger than the other type of thing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, for a lot of people who have one good eye and one bad eye, over time, one uh, one eye will start to drift a little bit because you basically aren't using it as much as you're using your dominant eye. Right. Like that's part of why I have to I have to consciously use the right side of my vision semi often so that way my right eye doesn't just get lazy. Yeah, I mean that, that's if you think about your arms, right? If you're right handed, typically your right arm is just stronger than your left arm because you use it for more. So that that makes plenty of sense. Um, I, I think the last thing I want to say about this is they're um, they're doing a new Viveport subscription plan, which I, I think Viveport is one of those things that is criminally underrated. Uh, it is effectively the Netflix of VR, right? You pay a subscription fee, you get access to several hundred titles that you can play at any time. Um, I guess basically like Game Pass now, but it did this before Game Pass was out. Um, this new one is six bucks a month. It has over a hundred like meditation, uh, I think one's like a pottery app, you know, where you can just like virtually make pottery and stuff. It, it has some cool stuff. I just, gosh, at this price, I, I'm not entirely sure who the market is for. The only thing I would want out of this, because, yeah, I, if I got VR, it would be to de-stress at the end of the day. What I, uh, my best VR experience to date was um, somebody let me come over and use their HTC Vive, and there was an app. There was a Disney app of some kind, but not going into any of the content or anything, you could just look at the background and in front of you, there was Disney Castle and then to the right was Avengers Campus and to the left was Star Wars. Yeah. Like Galaxy's Edge. Um, So I would just, I I didn't do anything in the app. I just stood there and looked around and I was like, oh God, I I miss being at the parks. And so if I, if, if, Disney, if you want to make a VR experience that tons of people will buy and will require very little upkeep, make a ver- make a VR app that literally just puts you in front of various theme park locales. Like, put me in front of Cinderella Castle, put me in front of the Millennium Falcon at Galaxy's Edge, put me in, uh, put me in Pandora and Animal Kingdom. 
and do that for the parks around the world. So that way it helps increase the ability. Because like, I want to go to Tokyo so bad, but all I know of Tokyo is pictures that other people sent. Right. Give me a VR view of what Tokyo Disney Sea looks like. And I'm going to have to start seriously trying to plan a trip. And it, VR is VR is focused on gaming, but it's also one of those things of it's a great way to like see places that you can't get that often. I live at Disney World and that's like that's the dream for me. Like that that was the goal and I have reached it at the age of 30, which is amazing. There you go. But uh but yeah, but it's it's one of those things of VR for me before I moved here was let me see the places I can't get to right now. Yeah, and, and I'm too actually, much of a workaholic and I don't take vac- I don't take vacations where I actually go anywhere other than to see family. Right. Yeah, I've I've forgotten the name of it. I don't want to look it up real quick because I don't want to click too much. But um, <laughs> there, there is uh, an app that just came out uh, recently on the Quest and is launching with this. And it's sort of a here are 10 or 12 locations around the world that you can go visit. One of them is like the Grand Canyon. Um, and there, there are several places like that. And the, the people who made the app actually went in. They digitally recorded all of um, the, the data to build this, you know, in a proper scale in VR. And you can go and explore these things. And like on the Quest 2, you can actually uh, tell it to make some of those places your home screen. So every time you turn your Quest 2 on and you're in your home screen, you're in whatever location you picked. So they they have some really cool tie-ins there. And since this is launching with that as one of the, you know, 100-ish apps in that Viveport subscription, I'm kind of wondering if they'll tie that in as well. So I'm looking forward to trying it. I really would love to see this form factor put to even better use in the future. But I think this is a fun um, sort of look at the next generation of VR headsets when we get to be significantly lighter and smaller. Um, and then on that note, without going into any detail, because there really is no detail, um, <laughs> Facebook took time to tease two new headsets, one of which looks extremely similar to this HTC Vive Flow. Um, and then another one is a what they call retina resolution headset it looks more like a quest you know it's a a, a sort of a full-size vr headset um but having that you know quote-unquote retina resolution is definitely important because you know when the screen is an inch from your face (laughs) you can see the pixels so yeah it's higher resolution is definitely a huge thing that um will make vr even better in the future i haven't done vr as much as i probably should mostly because I live at the most magical place on earth and I'd rather go see places in person. But it, it's one of those things that I should look at more, especially for the health benefits of like using it for workouts or just using it for Zen. I'm a very anxious person by nature. I need things that'll make me happy and calm me down. It, it seems like this is the the headset built for you then. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much their whole marketing behind this, from what I can tell is, you know, meditation, Zen, etc. Like they're they're looking to help you relax and help you get away and you know they they said well-being brain training productivity light gaming so it's this is not uh you know you're not going to be jumping around your living room <laughs> with this thing on i mean give me a version of solitaire where i have to like move around to tap the cards and that'll be all the exercise i need there you go but yeah or give me like give me give me a match 3 in vr where i have to like go and physically reach for all of the uh all of my pairs that's all I need. I'm a ca- I am a casual gamer. I play a match three and I play solitaire and that's it. Hey, that works. 
because that's all I have time for. And that's just enough of a stress release outlet for me. Right. And I use like I, I use solitaire on my like that's the Android app I use on my Chromebooks the most because it's like, OK, if I feel like I'm hitting a wall, I'll go try to do a round of free sell. If I solve the round in two minutes or less, I'm good. If I do it in three minutes or more, I need to take a break. Because that's the level of, okay, my brain has hit mush. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's all right. As, as long as you have a little outlet, right? Yes. Yes. Alrighty, so we're a little bit over for time. Sorry about that, boys. Um, so let's quickly go through what's making us happy. And does anybody want to start? So I will start. Uh, what's making me happy this week? Well, uh, you know, I usually like to use these segments to sort of highlight, uh, you know, YouTube creators. And so I guess what's been making me happy this week is uh, LGR, which is kind of a um, originally stood for lazy game reviews, but it's kind of a, evolved into more of a um, retro tech channel, especially yes. like old computers, old weird technology is is a uh, isn't like a major part of his uh, coverage. So if if you want to see a combination of maybe stuff you remember from the the 90s, early early 2000s, and just weird dead end technology, also of that era and earlier that that never really went anywhere, like uh, portrait monitors, weird PC cases, weird consoles. <laughs> um, there's a ton of really great stuff that he covers, so uh, definitely check that out if you're into uh, retro technology. And so, something interesting there, I found out he actually lives 15 minutes down the road from me. <laughs> huh. Interesting. I know he, he so also you did need, a. You need to arrange a visit and go like check out the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, la- last time Michael Fisher was in town, he had coffee with him, and he was like, "Oh, hey, you ever you ever heard of this area?" And I'm like, "Oh, yes, yeah, it's 15 minutes down the road from me." <laughs> cool. Nice. So, Nick, what's got you happy? Uh, well, I I won't shut up about VR, so I'll just keep going. Um, so I I just played a game called Eye of the Temple, and it's the first um room scale only game that I have played in, gosh, probably five years. It's it's not something that is typically done in VR. And I think it's because it uh, the audience is a bit limited. So the, the general concept is you need at least a two by two meter area to play in. And the game is all physical movement. There's no virtual movement at all. Um, it's sort of an Indiana Jones-esque theme. So you have a, a, a whip and a torch, right? And you're going around solving puzzles. You walk on like these moving blocks and it takes you to like the next area. Um, It's all like physical, physically based puzzles. And it's just it's unique. It's interesting. I had a great time with it and it's only 20 bucks. So if uh, if you're looking for something fun, you have a gaming PC. That's a good one to check out. Alrighty, and that just leaves me and my my happy thing this week is having a little bit of downtime before diving into all the fun stuff we have for the rest of the month because self-care is important and i took some time off at the beginning of the month and it was very very useful to me um and then my uh i was able to go to the parks be physically active and that very much helped i slept better at the beginning of this week than i have in a long time because i actually managed to go and get out and be active and do my like five miles of walking a day. So that, that tells me I need to start doing that again, especially now that it's a reasonable temperature outside during the day. So that, that was nice. Please take care of yourselves, everybody. It's self-care is important and self-care isn't you being lazy. It's just, you need time to decompress. Otherwise it's bad for your body and it'll be bad for anything you're trying to do. 
So please take care of yourselves. Alrighty, and on that note, we are going to go ahead and get back to work because, oh my God, we have so much. The, uh, we have so much next week, which means there's so much to prep and write this week. And I do not know what sleep is going to look like next week, I don't think. So this weekend is going to be me, be me trying to sleep in as much as I can because it's not going to happen next week. So until then, <laughs> um, you can reach Nick at Guanatsu. You can reach Alex Doby at Alex Doby on Twitter. I am RWAGCO. Well, you can find us all at Android Central. And I hope y'all have a great weekend and that you're as excited for the Pixel on Tuesday as we are. Heck yeah. Have a good one. See you later. See ya. Bye.